This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1602, Off the Racks. I'm Brian Christman. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Eberle. <laughs> and welcome to the show. I'm getting on my own show here. Matt Murdo's putting on pantomime. I don't know what you're doing over there. What am I doing? Pantomime? Just, no, we're, we're, we're just, oh, that's right. You can't see what Chris is doing. But we're, uh, oh, no, I can. Yeah, we're chair bopping along to the theme. Ah, so. excellent. It's a great theme. I, I love how you just mentioned that Murdo was putting on his pants, which I can't see. Pantomime. Pantomime. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, in this episode, this is our Off the Racks episode. Mm-hmm. We will go into spoilerific detail Indeed. on three titles. And, Mr. Myrtle, what are the titles of this episode? All right. They will be from Marvel, The Infinity Entity, number one of four. Uh, from DC, Legends of Tomorrow, number one. And from Image Comics, our independent pick, The Discipline, number one. And we may also add in some other recent-ish recent-ish issues, yeah, that's how you say it. Yep, whatever we happen to have been reading. Into our conversation towards the end. And, of course, spoilers, 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 forewarned is forearmed. Yes, and thank you for liked. remembering to forewarn people because I, I often don't. Oh, really? Well, and they I knew what they're getting into. I say let them crash. Knew the job was dangerous <laughs> when they downloaded it. That's right. Anyway, all right, well, Mr. Murdo, who is our sponsor in this episode? Well, our sponsor in this episode is uh, the uh, Collection Drawer Company at CollectionDrawer.com, makers of uh, the Drawbox, uh, patent pending, uh, the Drawbox <laughs> storage system. <laughs> Yes, which is uh, a, a twist on the traditional cardboard uh, comic. A twist, you say? A twist, yes. What? A twist? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a long box, but better, because uh, it opens from the front via a drawer instead of from the top via a lid, which makes it more conveniently accessible if you have the comic your boxes stacked one atop the other in your home or dwelling or uh, storage uh, unit. Wherever you happen to keep your comics, it'll be easier to get to them if you have them stored in drawer boxes. And uh, our friends at the Collection Drawer Company have been offering this fine product for quite a few years now. They've been a sponsor of ours for several years. We've used their products and uh, benefited greatly from it. Uh, They offer these drawer boxes in a variety of shapes and sizes for storing not only comics but magazines, sewing supplies, toys, LP records, and they also offer uh, accessories such as the BoxLocks box anchoring system, which prevents box tipping, improves stability for partially full boxes, and it provides even better long-term stacking strength. All Look of at this you. coming directly from CollectionDrawer.com, <laughs> where you can go for more details and also to order a few of these handy-dandy storage things uh, for your own collection at home. So, CollectionDrawer.com, home of the drawer box. Yeah, we actually have a couple of them in the studio in our little closet in there, hmm? coming quite handy because there's not much space in there. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yes. I thought you guys cleaned out that closet, no? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, well, there's only so much that could be done. Yeah, uh, I mean... <laughs> And it's not as bad as my home, but mm, it's... <laughs> or mine. And, and once again, tip of the hat to Shane for making things as clean and as uh, spacious in here as, as they currently are. Yes. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the festivities too much, I do want to mention, uh, last week, yes, as this episode goes on air, we actually had two episodes of Comic Geek Speak Up. One was our previews, and one was... The, the crisis, crisis tapes. tapes! Yes. Awesome. The return of the crisis tapes. Back from the interdimensional void. 
It's uh, our 14th episode, which uh, we, we, Peter and I are uh, talking about the first part of the third issue of that uh, epical maxi series. And Murren, I'm very excited because I haven't listened to it yet, but as I look here in my phone, 175 minutes <laughs> of pure Crisis Tapes goodness. Uh, you know what? I'm going to Pittsburgh tomorrow. Oh, this is going to be the first part of my journey right here. Excellent. I wish you happy listening on your uh, uh, parallel Earth journey. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding, my are you, friend. Are you going to visit Dan while you're out there? Yes, I'm going to visit Dan, and it's Ides' is, uh, annual 40% off sale. Oh, fun. I'll be picking up inventory uh, for both the store and for many of the CGS listeners who have been sending me lists over the past uh, several weeks, which I've been doing my best to fill. Uh, and also the Steel City Cons in town uh, that mm. weekend, so it'll be, it'll be a good time. Yes, I'm about 30 minutes into the Crisis Tapes episode, and of all the decisions I've made for CGS over the years, the one that I am most proud of is, for me, keeping my mitts out of those episodes. I love them so much. I want to be there and contribute, but I just got to step back and say, oh, these guys have it under control. They are the experts. I mean, just... When you wrote your thesis, did you have a thesaurus handy? Good Lord, those words you're reading, I, I, my, my, I, they're so smart and make me feel stupid, and it's like, ah. Sorry, sorry. Un unintended side effect. Oh. That's merely, that's merely the, the consequence of being a lifelong reader as murder. I know, but his, your vocabulary expands. his vocabulary, I'm like, oh, me like crisis, it good. And he's <laughs> going on and on about Messiah things and this and that, and oh, my God, it is awesome stuff. Like I said, I'm only 30 minutes of the episode. So anyway, kudos to you and Mr. Peter the Rios Rios, sir. Many, many thanks. It's yes. always great fun when we two wordy bitches get together. Yes. And, <laughs> and speaking of uh, comics and your trip to Pittsburgh, you are getting ready for what, Mr. Eberly? Ah, uh, yes. We are doing our, our anniversary sale, which we always uh, hold over Free Comic Book Day weekend. This will be, let's see, the 17th anniversary of Wild Pig Comics uh, this spring. And we'll be holding a massive uh, sale on Free Comic Book Day, which is Saturday, May 7th, the day after Captain America's Civil War premieres in theaters. And uh, virtually every – actually, virtually every item in the store, with the exception of Magic the Gathering cards, will be heavily discounted. All our 30,000 50-cent comics will be 25 percent off. And I'm, I'm adding thousands of books between now and the sale to our bins. Massive amounts of Bronze Age through the present, even some some reader copy Silver Age will be oh, in those bins. Yahoo! We are twenty five percent off our sticker comics, which we which we are expending. These are books that we deem are, are a little bit better than, than going to the bargain bin, but they're still priced way below guide. Twenty five percent off our new and used trades. We'll have at least two thousand trades in stock. Our used trade uh, uh, selection is always expanding, especially. And most of our used trades are $5, and again, 25% off that sticker price, for example. 25% uh, off all of our board games, 25% off Toon Tumblers, 25% off Pop Figures. And we're, we want to get rid of our, our magazine inventory because as much as I love comic magazines, they simply don't move. So we're going to be selling all our magazines at 50% off, and many of the magazines that have no sticker price will just be sold for a dollar. So – we're going to move out everything we can. This is a – look, I've said this many times. It's not hyperbole because I've been to comic shops all over the country, and very few stores do sales the way we do them. Our sales are really designed for, towards the consumer. These are low-priced items already, 
and now there's a significant discount off those prices on top of that. In addition, Pants, at, 3 p- <laughs> at approximately 3 p.m., will be holding an auction. And that auction thus far, and we're still adding items, will contain the following. Artist Edition, the Marvel Covers book. I think I have that one. Artist Edition. So you can put that aside then for someone else. IDW Artist (laughs) Edition, Joe Kubert, Enemy Ace. Enemy Ace. IDW Artist Edition, Herb Trimpy, The Incredible Hulk. IDW Artist Edition, Miracle Man. (laughs) His eyes are closed, his head in his hand right now. Um, You're killing me. We have, uh, we're going to have the uh, Kelly Jones Batman Gallery Edition, which was, uh, well, that's not from... That's IDW, graffiti. That's, that's graffiti, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and IDW, I think we have a Sandman one in there as well. Uh, I just picked up a near mint copy of Avengers Annual 10, the first appearance of Rogue. Mm. That will be in the auction. Uh, and I, this weekend I plan to pick up a few more choice books. For that auction, that'll be at 3 p.m. The sale is, of course, on Saturday, May 7th. Doors open at noon, runs through 6 p.m. Auction at approximately 3 p.m. That's 14 South Michigan Avenue, Kenilworth, New Jersey. And we are we are resurrecting an oldie but a goodie for <laughs> exclusively for CGS listeners. When you come to the register, all you have to do is utter the phrase, CGS 52. <laughs> And you will receive an additional $5 off your overall purchase. <laughs> so if you come to the register and tell Bill or I, I know that you are a loyal listener because I'm not going to say that this is not being advertised on our site or any social media or in emails. I'm only saying it here on the show. CGS 52 for an additional $5 off your overall purchase. And again, if you're anywhere in the region... I, I strongly urge you to come. We, we love meeting uh, listeners, and I, the sales will definitely be worth your while. And, and you gentlemen may be there as well, possibly. Well, so. according to the crisis tapes, I heard that, of course, Murder and myself will probably be staying over that Excellent. Friday night. And we may even see a lengthy appearance by Peter the Rios Rios. Oh, Murder, yes. please clarify. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, well, on the well, you'll hear when you listen to the episode tomorrow, Mr. Everly. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah, Peter thinks he's going to come. Yeah, it'll be good to hang out with Peter in person. Oh, Excellent. Oh. Well, that'll be again. That's free comic book day at Wild Pig Comics. Oh, so. very much looking forward to that. Don't forget CGS fifty two. <laughs> CGS fifty two, and, and you can, raise, you the can raise your fist and just say it with a great sense of exuberance to the register. <laughs> oh. And pants will be there like he is right now with his head beat red and laughing. <laughs> so, so pants, you're gonna cash in on the auction a bit or what? I don't know. <laughs> God, man, oh man, you guys are just killing me. Well, I mean, it's it's for everybody. Oh, well, maybe let somebody else try to win some auctions or a bit of a well, price and then cut out gonna, as quick as I they're can. They're going to have very low starting bids. So, hmm. you know. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Well, enough tomfoolery. Let's get on to the topic at hand, off the racks. Indeed. So, which one should we... Now, first of all, we, we must apologize. Daniel wanted to be here tonight, uh, but couldn't make it much. He did leave us some notes... So, because you should have more the merrier on no, these episodes. She's, she's, she's an extensive note. Yes, she did. Because I have only read one of the books. I must apologize for that. Um, but we'll um, do as best we can with what we have. And which should we start then, gentlemen? What's your, what's, your, what's your poison? Well, let me throw that one back to you, Brian. Since, oh, really? Uh, you've read only one of them. Would you prefer we do the one to which you can contribute first? Or? Well, sure. Let's do that. Uh, I, I read uh, the DC's Legends of Tomorrow number one. So, let me first read the solicitation for that. Excellent. 
Uh, it's four powerhouse tales in one colossal comic as some of comic's most legendary talents launch new tales of Firestorm, Metamorpho, Metal Men, and Sugar and Spike. That's right, Sugar and Spike. Cover price $7.99. And they do go by also and give a breakdown of each um, story. So I'll do that as well if you don't mind. Bear okay. with me. Please. First, uh, Firestorm, written by Jerry Conway. Art by Eduardo Pan... Oh, boy, I'm sorry. Pensica and Rob Hunter. Firestorm is back. To save Jason Roush, Firestorm will need to retrieve Danton Black's stolen research from Professor Stein's lab. But if Jason can't fuse with Ronnie by the Firestorm protocol, who can? Then we have Metal Men, written by Len Wein. Art by Yildure Sinar and Trevor Scott. Dr. Will Magnus' Metal Men may be the next step in robotics technology, but when the mysterious cyber-terrorist known only as Nameless comes after them, they may have met their match. For Metamorpho, written by Aaron Lopresti, with art by Aaron Lopresti and Matt Manning. Metamorpho, a prisoner of millionaire industrialist Simon Stagg. Now, the only person who can save him is Stagg's beautiful daughter, Sapphire? But can they defeat Stag's prehistoric bodyguard, Java? Question mark? <laughs> I keep doing it. Okay. And finally, Sugar and Spike, written by Keith Giffen, art by, oh boy, Bilquis Evely. The last time we saw Sugar and Spike, they were still in diapers. Now they've grown up, and they've become pr private investigators who specialize in cleaning up embarrassing problems for the DCU's greatest heroes. Sugar and Spike's first assignment Retrieve a cache of Batman's retired costumes that have been stolen by Killer Moth. All right, so should we give an overall by borrow pants for the book and then break down maybe by, by, by title? Not a bad idea. Okay. Overall, I give this a borrow. Okay. Overall, I give it a buy. Okay. I give it a strong borrow. Okay, and uh, Danny gives it a, a borrow. Now, as I recall, and I did a little research on this, back um, last, I think, July, around the head of, before Comic-Con, uh, DC announced, like, eight new six-issue miniseries that included Metal Men, Poison Ivy, Swamp Thing, Raven, Firestorm, Katana, Metamorpho, and Sugar and Spike. So, obviously, half of those are now in The Legends of Tomorrow. I know there is, I believe, a Poison Ivy that is out. I think the Swamp Thing is also out. Right, both as miniseries. Right. So, this is sort of a combination of what would have been four individual series. Um, basically, like $1.99 for each issue, when you put it this way, not a bad deal. Not at all. Not a bad deal at all. Um, yeah. So, um, that's, that's the history, as I see it, of, of how this uh, came about. And I don't know how if they're gonna. This is gonna be six issues. They can publish everything. Do we know at this point they're gonna finish it? I don't think they've uh, told us whether this is ongoing or finite. As okay. Yet. All right. Well, um, guys, uh, please, guys, jump in if if you need to say anything. I'm just sort of gonna go through and then give my ratings for each one of these. For for Firestorm, I gave that a borrow. Um, for Metalman, I gave that a buy. Metamorpho, a borrow. And Sugar and Spike, a buy, buy, buy. <laughs> Good help. God help me. I. I when I heard this, I thought, Sugar and Spike, you've got to be kidding me. Sugar and Spike was 
the brainchild of Sheldon Mayer. Do you know much about him, Murd, historically um, speaking? Only that he's not Sheldon Moldoff there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but well, uh, he's a cartoonist, and uh, he's, uh, as I recall, he based uh, Sugar on his own daughter. Oh, really? So it's a, kind of a personal project for him. And there was, they, they tried to get it into newspaper syndication at some point, DC did, but that never quite got off the ground. But it, it had a long, healthy run as a Yeah, it, it ran, I think, from like 1956, maybe like 1971. It was, as I understand it, basically just, you know, Sugar and Spike, to, uh, let's see, Sugar Plum mm-hmm. and Cecil Spike Wilson um, were just two babies who could talk to each other and had their adventures and what have you. It ran, I think, it ran 98 issues. There was a 99th issue that was published as part of D.C. Silver Age Classic when they closed down the Sparta plant in Illinois, right. which you remember in the Crisis Tapes. Ha-ha. Mm-hmm. We also <laughs> should mention that uh, <laughs> Shelley Meyer is a very important figure in uh, the early history of the American comic book. Um, I mean, we're talking about, and, and you're right, Sugar and Spike ran for a very long time, and, and he, I believe he had to stop drawing the book because he was losing his eyesight. Oh, okay. Uh, essentially. But... Um, he worked. He worked for uh, Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson at National Allied Publications. Um, he was an editor. Uh, he also worked for uh, All American Comics. Uh, so he's a very important figure. Uh, he was involved you know, in the editing of the Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Wonder Woman, JSA. Uh, this guy is hugely important to the history of of, of superhero comics uh, in the United States. Uh, so. He died in 1991. It says here at age of 74, uh, but very important figure. Who, who you know, definitely someone who's more than just an historical footnote. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I just wanted to talk a little bit about. Sheldon no, that's Meyer. fine. I, I should know you're also our, our resident historian as well for um, comic creators, Mr. Eberly. Well, I'm always trying to expand my knowledge, but uh, he's just someone I've read about and heard interviews about over the years, and how just vitally important mm-hmm. he is. So, well, yes, I loved, love, love, love the Sugar and Spike story. <laughs> It was incredibly well drawn. Keith Giffen is a great writer. It had uh, the nice hook about with they're trying to find Batman. I mean, they had the zebra costume in there for <laughs> Batman. That, oh. that, that story was tiller made for you and Murd. Oh. That was was wonderful. And, and they, they, Killer Moth is the bad guy. And let, let's not spoil what Killer Moth has been doing with these. Oh, uh, right, right. <laughs> that's, that's the funniest bit of the story. Right. Uh, great interaction between Sugar and Spike. And... I want to read more of this. I, I could not believe how wonderful that, that, that book was. And I'm going to assume all of this stuff is post-Flashpoint continuity, I'm, I'm guessing. I would hope. Right. For, like, for instance, because the Metal Men, which I also very much liked, um, again, just tremendous art here. And I enjoy the story. I enjoy the characters. But, yeah, I know it's a different, you know, Metal Men. It's a much younger Will Magnus. But they... They take, you know, we've heard about Anonymous, the hacker group Anonymous. Well, now they have Nameless. So they're tying that in here. I, I like that very much. Looking forward to that. Just the metal men, you know, gold, lead, tin, iron, platinum, mercury. Pretty much retain some of their humor that they, and their personality they had from, you know, pre-Flashpoint. So I enjoyed that as well. I'm, I'm wondering how many people who never knew these characters, because they haven't appeared in D.C., oh, God, probably more like five years. The metal men. I wouldn't think so. Has it been that long? Well, have we seen him yet in post-Flashpoint continuity? Hmm. Well, this is a good point, and it has been nearly five years. Well, at least for me, because I haven't been reading much of the DC in the last few years. I don't remember seeing them you know, early on. I, I really don't remember seeing them either. Okay. But you know, very much enjoyed that. Um, Firestorm Metamorpho, I know, I, I know a lot of their, their histories and great, you know, great creators with this. 
how the story just didn't really grab me as much as the other two did. Um, that's, so that's why I gave them borrow. Um, but yeah, the, the price point of, of $7.99, but you are getting four comics, so it's a struggle. Uh, do, do I keep going on with this? Because I didn't know what to expect. I really want to read the Sugar and Spike <laughs> and, and the Metalman story. So, uh, What would you think of the Firestorm story? Um, that, that, was, that was okay. Again, I, I'd forgotten that, I guess, post... Keep post flashpoint that Ronnie and Jason are the Firestorm. Uh, you know, Professor Stein isn't in merge right. with them, He's so, still there so to in speak. An advisory capacity. In the advisory capacity, uh, and I, I did like the, the Firestorm with Jason Rouse series. I really enjoyed that. That's where I first knew a lot of Jamal Eigel's work from, because he worked on that book. I really did enjoy that book very much. Um, and he's got a lot, got a long history. Uh, Jerry Conway, of course, he's that's his. Child, more or less, mm-hmm. Firestorm. So I, I like seeing him getting back on on the the title. Uh, yeah, I can't put my finger on it, but it just didn't grab me as much as the other two did. Um, but uh, so it wasn't bad. It was just sort of like, okay, that's okay. Maybe give it another issue, see how it goes there. Um, but yeah, so that's why I gave it an overall borrow. I couldn't really give it a buy overall. But you know the price point. But yeah, you are getting four comics basically for the price of two three ninety nine books. Yep, in a day when you're usually getting like 20 story pages for three ninety nine, there's right. no denying. Right. It's worth buying in bulk. Yes. <laughs> How do they do it? Volume, volume, volume. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this this was a very enjoyable package for me. Um, okay, so if, if we're doing the uh, individual story ratings, uh, I'd say Firestorm was a strong borrow to a buy. Um Metamorpho, just a borrow. Uh, Sugar and Spike, definitely a buy. And then uh, Metal Men, kind of a weak buy, I'd say. So it does average out to you know, being kind of on, a little bit on on the bubble, but but a buy, all mm-hmm. the same. Um, you know, so they, they call this Legends of Tomorrow, and but uh, they... Oh, yes, yeah, so I've got them, of course, trying to cash in, if you will, on the TV series of the same name. Right, right, and it's true. Even though you know, the, the content, mercifully, isn't just an adaptation of that miniseries. It's additional, sure. original stories. Uh, although some of the characters featured here are, in fact, in that miniseries. Uh, Firestorm, most notably. Um, but yet, yeah, it's, it's kind of an intergenerational phenomenon here, though, because uh, they call it Legends of Tomorrow. Um, the artists, uh, by and large, are younger talents, but uh, the creators are more like – well, the writers, I mean, are more like re- Legends of Yesterday. Yeah. Because okay. the aforementioned Jerry Conway, he's, he's you know, as you said, Brian, he's the creator of Firestorm. Great to see him back on uh, his – his uh, what is probably his most valuable contribution to the DC universe. Uh, Aaron Lepresti has been around for a while. Keith Giffen, of course, and Len Wein writing the Metal Men. So there, there's a lot of veterans of the comics industry, and it's just regardless of the quality of material they turn in, uh, it's just great to see them getting work. Yes, uh, and, and it helps when the stuff that they turn in is, in fact, as, as readable and entertaining as the stories in this issue were. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll agree with you that uh, the Fi- Firestorm and Metamorpho both. Uh, I think they probably impacted us about the same. Um, I think that the reason they didn't quite grab us is because they're well, they're largely talky stories. There's not as much action going on. And it, it's, it's more a problem in the Metamorpho story, I think, than in the Firestorm story. I can see that now you mentioned it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. There's a, it, it's teased that there will be supervillain conflicts later on. You know, The mysterious multiplex is lurking at the fringes of the Firestorm story mm-hmm. and uh, Kanjar Row. Yes. You know, classic Silver Age DC heavy. He, he uh, turns up for one page of the Metamorpho story, so that that uh, could uh, eventuate into something entertaining later on. Uh, but yeah, the, the, they're both more uh, uh, invested in developing the supporting cast rather than diving right into the action. Mm-hmm. The, the Firestorm and Metamorpho stories, which may be why they didn't, uh, you know, turn us on quite as much. 
But yeah, and I do think Jerry Conway does a slightly better job of making this sort of setup interesting in his story because we get uh, Jason and uh, Ronnie and also Professor Stein and a couple of uh, newer figures in the Firestorm world uh, like – well, the uh, the friendly academic rival of uh, of Jason, uh, uh, Monica, uh, her last name's in here somewhere, but uh, Littman, Monica Littman, um, and we get to see Ronnie, uh, well, <laughs> making the usual bad decisions that <laughs> defined his character even as far back as the late seventies. Uh, yes, and I, I really like what we got from the art team too. Eduardo Pansica, Rob Hunter. There's no credited colorist, but uh, it all combines. You know, inks, colors, pencils all combines with a very tight visual package. Yeah, it's a very nice uh, two-page spread right at the very beginning of the oh, book. There. Yeah, it's that's dynamic enough to draw you in. Um, then uh, the Metamorpho story. This is Aaron Lepresti uh, doing both the writing and the artwork. Um, he's he's been doing odd jobs as a scripter for the last twenty years or so. He's he's got a couple of creator-owned properties. His Atomic Toy Box or or Power Cubed, as I think he calls it now. Um, and uh, Lepresti impressed me. It, that almost rhymed. Lopresti impressed me as a scripter in the story. Um, yeah, he did a fine job as both a writer and artist. Uh, you know, the dialogue is you know, capable, maybe a little bit pat, um, but you know, again, it's the story is surprisingly static. You know, dramatic and straight faced, which is not a take you associate with a character like Metamorpho, who you know, it's in the Silver Age, his stories were off the wall and uh, irreverent to the point of spoofery. You know, it's it was as much a humor book as it was an action book, and there's really not a lot of humor in. Uh, Lopresti's take here. Um, but yeah, so again, we're reintroduced to the supporting cast, Simon Stagg, his daughter Sapphire, who in this iteration of reality is a biochemist, and uh, Java, the unfrozen caveman. <laughs> and uh, it, it, But it's mainly just a bunch of people standing around talking in a laboratory or standing around talking in a boardroom. The, the action doesn't really get going until next time. You know, it's, it's surprising that a, a man who's uh, Stock and trade as a superhero character is perpetual change, and just the the dynamism of that. It, it, and and here's a story that's almost completely static. So uh, th- there's every chance that this will get better as uh, as uh, the the strip uh, progresses. But uh, this first issue was a little lukewarm. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd give that a borrow as well. Uh, then of course, Sugar and Spike. You know, th- <laughs> I was. <sighs> I was looking forward to this. Um, I wasn't – there was part of me that was definitely not convinced that we ever really needed to see an all-grown-up version of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it was ultimately a good idea to tie the adult Sugar and Spike into the world of DC's superheroes if they expect you know, their contemporary audience to pay attention to it right. at all. Um, and they got the right creative team to take care of this. You know, Keith Giffen, as we've said, he's, he's a master of a humor. And, and this is you know, identifiably a Giffen story. It's got that uh, trademark uh, uh, patter between uh, two uh, characters. You know, there's the give and take between them. Um, and the artwork, you know. Uh, it's stunning to me. Yeah. I've never heard of this artist before. Um, well, uh, she was the artist on the uh, first uh, uh, Shaft miniseries from Dynamite. Oh, of which okay. Chris was such a huge fan. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, to this, I- I'm still not sure how to pronounce her name. It's whether it's Bilkis or Bilki yes, or I Bilkis. apologize if I have to put a quarter in the jar. Yeah, I think but... we all need to put a quarter in the jar for this one. So again, we send up the uh, Eric Nolan Wethington signal and <laughs> hope we know something we don't. But, but at least I was able to figure out that she is a, a woman. I actually wasn't aware of that fact until a couple of days ago. But um, I think the original announced artist for this feature was Howard Porter, uh, who's oh. 
Yeah, but uh, I, I really can't imagine my liking anything Mr. Porter would have done any more than I like what Ms. Evely has done because yeah. this it, it really is beautiful. Yes, artwork. it it's, is. It's hard-boiled and yet adorable all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's seamy and sweet. It's like it's sugar, sugar and spite. spite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there ah, in the like, title. Oh, my God. It works on so many levels. Yeah, it's, they're like a couple of living dolls. It's like uh, Mickey Spillane is writing crime fiction about Raggedy Andy and Barbie's little sister Skipper. <laughs> it just blew my mind, sir. <laughs> And it works. Too. It it's, does it's work. It's in the DC universe, and this thing works. I can't believe I enjoyed it's, this. It's it's it's, it's, it's I mean, the, the, the action is there. It's it's there are some scenes of balls to the wall action, but it's still fairly pure at heart. And at the end of the story, there's a little throwaway mention of Bernie, as in Bernie the Brain, who was a supporting character from the Sugar and Spike yes. comics. He's like a kid genius, and here he's apparently Sugar and Spike's gadget man. And uh, you know, while I wasn't happy to see Sugar and Spike shooting people and having a Gimli and Legolas style body count competition as they go, it turns out they were just shooting them with tranquilizer rounds mm-hmm. that Bernie uh, cooked up for them. And then they go home at the end of the story and they, it turns out that they're living in two halves of a duplex, still <laughs> living next door to each other in their little dollhouse after all these years. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good balance of um, you know, the, the, the action and the saccharine. And uh, Keith Giffen, I mean, it's, uh, th- this first script, I wouldn't call it Giffen's best work, but it's still, it's funny. It's 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 lighthearted, of, well, except when people are shooting each other, of course, or when Sugar is being mean to Spike. I actually felt a little bad for him by the end of the story. Um, but I, I'm sure, once again, this is going to get even better as time goes on, too. And I'd be just as happy if they never actually encounter any actual DC superheroes. Just let them be on the fringe. You know, see the supporting characters like Alfred in this issue, or the villains like Killer Moth, and <laughs> perfect choice of character for this. This isn't the first time we've seen Killer Moth in the post-Flashpoint universe. Oh, really? Yeah, it's uh, Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow run, I think, is where this version came up. So that's – I forget who the artist was on that run, but that's where this costume design comes from. Um, Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And then the Metal Men, uh, they're they're just as, well, you know, just off-the-wall crazy action as as they've ever been. They're fighting the Missile Men. That's a classic Mm -hmm. opposition. Um, Len Wein is trying hard. He's, he's giving us a supporting cast here too. He's giving us some good humor. I mean, I think this is probably the one of these strips of well, next to Sugar and Spike that does the best job of injecting some humor and fun into the script. Doctor Chantilly Lace. <laughs> She's not just a pretty face <laughs> oh, with a ponytail uh, hanging down. Uh, red one to walk, red one to talk. Mm-hmm. It makes, makes the world, world go round. <laughs> oh God, rest your soul, Big Bopper. Uh, <laughs> And then this threat of the mysterious cyber-terrorist Nameless. Um, DC history note. Uh, the name Nameless actually has uh, some connection to the, men, the Metal Men's history. Because uh, at one point, there was actually a little female robot that uh, Doc Magnus tinkered together as a girlfriend for Tin. And her name was Nameless. So you, You've been reading your who's who again, haven't you? <laughs> always. Oh, like, man. Continually. But, yeah, so that, that's my theory as to who uh, Nameless is going in this story might turn out to be. And I'm happy to see that we're back down to the original six. You know, no Viridium, no Copper from the Dan DiDio-written strip. Was it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it, it's just the original six. And uh, their personalities are on display here, and w- which are you know, closely related to the properties of the metals of which they're composed. And you, you mentioned a younger, more dynamic Will Magnus. He's not just standing around. Smoking or, a pipe. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, he's a little more action-y, hands-on. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, – it's, it's a fun package. Um, if I had one 
uh, well, well, not a criticism so much as a wish that they could have added even a little bit more, you know, fun and charm to the stories here. Um, because, you know, th- three out of the four of them are Silver Age concepts, after all, and most of them, well, as I said about Metamorpho, had as much to do with humor as they did with action, certainly Sugar and Spike. Um, but, um, again, this is the new DC comics, and, uh, this is still a little more progressive well, towards what we would like DC Comics to be than what DC's been publishing for most of the last five years. So we should be happy for this step in the right direction. And again, it's giving older creators some work, and they've got that sensibility that we value. And, and so they're, they're, they're putting it to work here. And I would say that if you are a fan of uh, DC storytelling of, say, the Copper Age, and you've been missing that flavor in your comics, this uh, is a pretty close approximation to that. Um, so it, it, it's worth your eight bucks, I would say. So I, I give it overall a buy, and I will definitely be buying uh, future issues. Yeah, I mean, I got it for half off at DC Best the first issue, and now I'm going to have to look at getting the other issues. But it, it's, it's good. It's, it's good because you get a lot of bang for your buck there. I, uh, I echo your sentiments, gentlemen. Uh, overall, I, I enjoyed this too. I just read it, you know, less than an hour ago. Um, so it's very fresh in my mind. Uh, first of all, to echo Mert's sentiments, I love the overall tone of this book. It was fun. Uh, there was a great emphasis on character and relationships. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, Jerry Conway, how he does that. That's what Jerry, Con- Jerry Conway is why, – one of the reasons why he's a great writer, why I consider him a living master is because we go back to his legendary run on Amazing Spider-Man. One of the reasons why that run is so classic is that he so emphasized – the supporting cast and the interpersonal relationships of the characters, and he hasn't he has not lost that touch at all. And you very much see that uh, in the Firestorm story, which and I enjoyed. And I didn't even mind the lack of action. I was really just enjoying the different characters uh, and their interactions there. Uh, so that was if we're going to break this down by story, that was that was a a, a buy for me. Uh, Metamorpho, not a character I know a whole hell of a lot about besides just his very basic history. Uh, I thought this was a, a solid story. It didn't it didn't bowl me over. I didn't think it didn't disinterest me, but it was kind of a static read for me that, mm. that one. And uh, you know, a, a solid borrow. Um, and uh, Sugar and Spike was. Pfft. I mean, that that's you talk about the art of the one and done, and how we've often lamented how its passing. Ah, Not in this yes. book. Yeah. Uh, that that that's that that is a master. Now, granted, we're talking about another veteran master Keith Giffen and uh, clearly he has not lost his touch in any way shape or form I was laughing out loud when I read this story <laughs> I was thoroughly entertained and again the artist and I, I loved her work on that first magnificent Shaft miniseries beautiful art and by the way in general, I thought the artwork in this this book was very well done yeah. I, I, as, as, a, as a production I thought this is, this is a, a, a wonderful just package this overall book and I think it's well worth the eight dollars because, as you guys mentioned, you're basically paying two dollars a story. And uh, the, sp- the sugar and spike was such a such a breath of fresh air. I, I mean, I, I've never actually read a sugar and spike story in my life. I, I, I know the concept, and, you know, I, I know the significance, as I said before, of, of, of uh, Sheldon Meyer. But this was so much fun, and just the banter between them. And, and, and again, what they had to uh, recover was, I just thought, a stroke of genius <laughs> on, on Giffen's part and, and, um, and such a wonderful uh, you know, callback to a, to a more whimsical time in, in, in D.C. history. And I, when I read it, I was just grinning ear to ear thinking of both Pants and Murd's reaction to, to, that, <laughs> to that turn in the plot, uh, tailor-made to your sensibilities, gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my hope here is that he's going to go. Giffen is going to go back to his notes from the original Ambush Bug miniseries when they did the Ambush oh. Bug Who's Who in the DC Universe, including some of the silliest concepts of bygone days. 
I'd like to have a sugar and spike investigate all of those. That's a wonderful <laughs> idea. But it was this. That's the kind of story uh, I want to see more from, from both companies. You're, you're calling back to your history, but you're doing it in an innovative, fresh way. And I want, let me read what Daniel wrote about sugar and spike because I think it hits the nail on the head perfectly, if I may. Yeah. First of all, she um, gave the book overall a borrow. Yes. Yes. Um, she, she says here, the sugar and spike story I fell in love with. I want that as a series now. It was fun, intriguing, and you didn't need to have a large knowledge of back history to read the story. Perfectly put. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, anybody can read this story. You just walk in, boom, no other baggage. If you know some other stuff, you get a little, like we do, you get a little, oh, how about that? If, if you don't, it's still a good story. Did I mention it's very good, it's very well drawn? Did I mention that? <laughs> and uh, the Metalman I, I enjoyed, too, as, as a solid uh, bar. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a huge Metalman fan. I haven't read many Metalman stories, but I certainly respect that the concept and the history. But as Murd said, to see creators like Len Wein, Keith Giffen, Jerry Conway, right? These are all great creators and veterans uh, uh, in the comic book medium who should, who should be getting work. Um, and I'm glad to see that they are getting work and they're still turning in you know, solid to great uh, stories. So I, I compliment DC uh, on choosing wonderful creators and, and, and making it you – know, uh, you know, you're often very dubious when you see like an $8 comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this one, I think, was was worth it. Uh, so, I, I just give it a strong bar because I didn't think every story was to the caliber of the Sugar and Spike story. But uh, overall, a, a very strong package. And, and as you guys said, if, if you're a fan of, of DC history and especially of you know sort of a bygone era, you, you definitely should pick this up. So yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Definitely a very let's 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 pull out a CGS chestnut. It's a buy row. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, what uh, should we do next? I think we should move on to the discipline. Okay, because we, we don't want to end on a downer, do we? Okay. Yes, exactly. That was my thinking. <laughs> well, now I will read the solicitation for this. Uh, discipline number one from Image Comics. Uh, story by Peter Milligan. Art and cover by Leandro Fernandez. Between fighting her sister and hating her husband, Melissa still finds time to fall in lust with a stranger who's an awful lot more than he seems. What appears to be a simple seduction is revealed as something much darker and more dangerous. This controversial and erotically charged tale of sex, death, and metamorphosis begins with an explosion of carnality and weirdness. All right. Well, let's see. Danny gave this a pants. Yes, and I also gave it a pants. Oh, this is dreadful. It's, it's a colossal pants. All right. Should, should we begin with the full text of Danny's remarks? Well, yeah. I th- yeah. Go ahead, Mert. All right. Okay. Uh, Danny says – We're quoting her from her email. Yes, yes. This is all quote quotations. Yes. That's, uh, you know, this is, you know, she told us in advance that she had a strong reaction to this, and I'm glad that she took the time to write this out. Thank you very much, Danny. This is the book that I was dreading to review. From the cover alone, I had a bad feeling I wasn't going to enjoy this. Coming in, I knew nothing about this book. I never read a solicitation for it. I knew the name, and that was it, from, uh, and that it was from Image. Nothing else. My first impression was to sigh when I saw the cover. It shows the main character looking horrified with her shirt half-buttoned bra showing with a creepy hand going towards her breast. It looks as if this character is about to get groped against her will. Not really digging that. 
Trying to be positive, I think the concept of the book is intriguing, but it wasn't well planned out. The book is about Melissa, a 23-year-old who was born on the wrong side of the tracks but worked her ass off, got a good education, good job, and married what looks to be the perfect husband. She has what looks like the perfect life, but she's actually a bored, unfulfilled housewife who's in need of a sexual awakening, it seems. The only joy she finds in life is when she goes and looks at a painting. I actually liked the introduction to the main character. You get a small picture of who Melissa is from her family life to her home life in a few pages. The only problem is, that's all we get from her. She's a template of a lifetime movie heroine, but has no real depth. Enter Orlando. I think he's supposed to be our mysterious, seductive character who's part of some secret organization. In this interaction, where the two characters first meet, Orlando mentions how he's been watching her, grabs her crotch, and tells her, Two days. Yes, he grabs her crotch. That is not sexy nor seductive. That is outright harassment or maybe even assault. It's disgusting. After this, the story seems to go full throttle, but in a muddling and confusing way. Melissa goes out on a date with Orlando and in little time is ready to jump his bones. When we get to the seduction sex scene, it seems to involve some kind of ritual with a BDSM quality that from her reaction she was not prepared for or consenting to. This is also incredibly bothersome. There is no consent here. She looks horrified, wants to know what's going on, and he's not stopping to explain any of this. This is not how consensual sex is handled, especially when you are adding in BDSM elements. And I'm not even touching on the fact that he's trying to have sex with her to bring her into some kind of organization that seems to turn you into a demon creature, and he's not even asking her if she wants to participate in any of this. Wow. I hate to say this, but the whole book comes across as a male fantasy. In no way is Melissa ever developed as a full character who has any real depth to her. She may be the main character, but she's a prop in the story for the male characters to play with. It seems literally. When it comes to sex, consent is incredibly important. The book disregards this. For me personally, as a woman who enjoys comics, reading something like this can be heartbreaking and frustrating. Frustrating, And I don't hold it against anyone if they enjoyed this book. I don't even hold it against you if you didn't pick up on my grievances when reading it. But I hope you give it some thought. We live in a world where women are catcalled, harassed, aggressively hit on, and followed home by strange men. This is a daily occurrence for many women. So to treat a book where a woman is okay with a guy molesting her in a museum and then dating him without giving us a reason for her attraction, I'm going to take a little offense to that. Because at this point, with all the discussion that has been going on with a culture of consent... I expect more. I don't think the creators intended this, and I hope with subsequent issues they give more backstory to Melissa so she can, we can see why she'd make these choices. I've enjoyed works by Milligan, but this was unfortunately not one of them. As I look back on the solicitation originally, it was a gem of the month from, from previews. Mm. So yeah. I mean, I don't know what the decision because I, I wasn't part of the um, process of making the choices for Off the Racks, but is that may, what... May, may I jump in on that? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, go right ahead. We selected this because I, for one, I've always enjoyed Peter Milligan as a writer, and, and I still do. Um, I think what Daniel wrote here is eloquent, and I can't add much more to it because I agree with all of her points. Just all I'd say is that this is also just really bad storytelling. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm not going to stop reading works by Milligan. I think Milligan is an outstanding writer overall. Um, I love the stuff he did on Human Target, for example. But – I realize there's a supernatural quality to this. Uh, to some degree, I realize that you know there, there's an, a, an erotic quality to it, and these are all elements, storytelling elements I, I enjoy. But it's so unbelievable the way that this woman finds herself in the situation, and the way that she just she just seems to uh, supplicate herself to it, and she's, she's so pliant about it. And it, it, there's there, there's no 
it just seems like they're just trying to establish so much so fast in this first issue that that by doing so, I think they undercut any possibilities for this story because I just I don't believe any of this. Now, granted, of course, this this is clearly a story involving some kind of supernatural element. So when I say I don't believe it, it's I don't mean that. I mean just the story itself. I don't believe her character. I think Daniel's completely correct. She's not she's she's she's, a, she's not a fleshed out character in any way, shape, or form. And I don't care how desperate you are, unfulfilled you are, you know, some guy with, you know, the incredibly cliched name of Orlando coming up to you and, and grabbing you the way he did. It, it's just it, – this is – I found this book silly. I, I mean I, I found it – I barely got through it because I, I was – not only did I did I feel, have a lot of the same reactions that Danielle did, but I was also thoroughly bored by it. I, I mean the, I mean I like the art. To, to some degree, um, you know, and some some of the, the, the sexual imagery w- w- was captivating, but that's not enough. I mean, you got to have a, a compelling story, and I, I just her the main character was just not plausible to me. And when when, when a character is not plausible, automatically I don't care. And I, I barely finished this, um, and I certainly won't be reading issue two. And I, what I don't know what the hell Diamond was thinking, making this a gem of the month. Um, I, I automatically questioned the editorial on that because. There, there. Are, I'm sure there are far more compelling books in previews in that month uh, than this. Uh, very, very poorly conceived, very poorly executed, uh, and I would encourage everyone who has to, well, we know, has to work very hard for their money. Don't spend it on this colossal pants. Well, Chris, I am um, wholly in agreement with just about every point you made in, in that uh, in your critique there. Um, as, as far as why this was chosen as a gem of the month, um, I actually did a little bit of scouring of the internet to see a couple of interviews uh, w- with Milligan on the subject of this. And I found that this is actually a book that uh, the world has been waiting for for about three years because originally it was supposed to have been released uh, through Vertigo about uh, three years ago. Really? Yeah, uh, 2013, which was about the time that uh, Karen Berger stepped down as head editor of that line. Okay. So it may have gotten lost in the shuffle there, but uh, – there may have just been creative differences with uh, the new regime. Or maybe Vertigo said, you know what? This isn't very good and we're not going to carry it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's a, I mean that's, that's just a, a no, right, possibility. Right. Uh, I mean who knows? Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll begin by agreeing with you that the artwork is actually kind of nice uh, by uh, Leandro Fernandez. Um, it's, uh, it, it reminds me a bit of Marcos Martin, uh, here and there a touch of Kelly Jones. And when the subject matter is demonic, uh, there are far worse styles for artwork to resemble than uh, that of Kelly Jones. Uh, the coloring is nice, um, and this is still Milligan. So there, are, there is the occasional witty turn in the dialogue here and there, but uh, not nearly enough to compensate from the, uh, well, the, the ham-handed and often cliched storytelling that we're getting for the rest of this issue. You know, Chris hit it right on the, on the nail. This is uninteresting, uninspired, uh, occasionally derivative. Sto- I mean, the subject matter kind of reminds me of like a, a mashup of uh, Twilight, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, the, the Da Vinci Code, a couple of other things. It's, I, I thought that why, ma- why, don't you, why don't you throw in the Red Shoe Diaries while you're at it? I, I'll, I'll you gladly can. throw in anything you name, Chris. This is kind of a, <laughs> a kitchen sink of like middle-brow poplet phenomenon. I wondered if maybe his intent wasn't to just lump them all up and drive a skewer through them. Like Maybe this is supposed to be a parody of some kind. But having read uh, his remarks in uh, interviews, um, the, the two or three of them that I read, uh, I didn't get any 
I sensed that there was satirical intent involved here. Like uh, one interviewer actually asked him point blank, is this intended as like a send-up of things like Fifty Shades of Grey? And Milligan said, no, 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 I've actually, no that was not intentional. I actually did try to read that once, and I didn't get very far. I clearly was not the uh, target audience. And he said that one reason he was actually glad this thing was postponed by three years was that he thought maybe fewer people would uh, draw that comparison. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know whether I feel better or not that he wasn't intentionally trying to uh, do a, a send-up of things like that because, well, if, if it were a parody, it would be a pretty weak one and uh, not really at all funny. And uh, as it is, it's just kind of a you know, pallid and intentionally or not derivative uh, – it, it, it just bears too strong a resemblance to you know, quasi-pornographic things that are being produced for the public consumption elsewhere and that are, well – not worthy of a creator of his caliber. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, the, 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 as Danny said and as Chris echoed, the main character was not very well developed. Um, she does, just, just appears to be a vehicle for a sexual fantasy that uh, does not appear to be from a female point of view. And Orlando, you know, just about all the characters and situations in here are cliched in one way or another. So that's, uh, I did like the use of the painting by Goya. So there is at least a, a touch of art history thrown in here, and uh, Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man is also mentioned. So that, that's that's something. But uh, but then once we get into all the, uh, you know, the the prurient and gratuitous, I mean, I'm not sure why all this sexual content is even in here. I mean, it's it's easy. It would be easy enough to tell the story of a woman who's being recruited uh, to take part in some kind of millennia old uh, factional war between angels and demons or whatever the hell is going on here, without including all these. All, all the explicit sexual content. And, and don't mistake this for prudery on my part because you know, Chris and I both read and enjoy Sex Criminals. That's one of the better books on the stands, and there's lots of explicit content there, but it's done much – and, and Danny too, is a big proponent of that series. You may remember she nominated a moment from that as best cliffhanger or moment of 2015. But uh, there's a difference between sexual content with uh, you know, attention paid to responsible, consensual sexual behavior and something like this, which is – Awfully rapey, come right down to it. I mean, there, there are scenes of a woman uh, not obviously uh, with her own consent being sodomized by demons in this book, or at least uh, fantasizing about it. And uh, we're, we're not at all sure that uh, th those fantasies are her own or whether they're being telepathically implanted in her mind. It's, it's, it's really kind of disturbing and for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah, it's uh, – and as Chris said, it's just uh, – it, it, it seems to be trying to titillate, and all it's really doing is boring and offending, which is not a goal that uh, any comic creator should have in mind these days. And and this is a personal – just on top of every other you know, negative thing we could say about this book, the final scene lost me even more uh, when uh, Orlando, the one who's trying to recruit the main character for this uh, war between angels and demons or extra-dimensional snake people or whatever the hell these characters are supposed to be, uh, he goes to visit with uh, his superiors, the council of the angelic reptile men or whatever they are, and uh, they have a conversation in – this ridiculous broken Latin. It's like as, as a former student of Latin, that <laughs> that uh, made me laugh almost more than anything else I saw in this issue because they might as well be talking Smurf talk, except <laughs> instead of replacing every third word with Smurf, Milligan replaces every third word with a half-assed like a Latin derivative. Uh, either have the whole thing be in Latin and provide a translation or just skip it and just have them speak English because that – I read that and I thought, oh, come on, Milligan. It, you can't possibly be expecting anyone to take this seriously at this point. Now, granted, he, the word metamorphosis turns up a lot. 
both in the image solicitation for this first issue and in a couple of the remarks that Milligan made. Like the, the, the point of this story is supposed to be – the major redemptive feature is supposed to be the personal journey of the, the main character, Melissa, and how she goes from one thing to another. So maybe we're supposed to understand that, that she's not much of a human being at the beginning, you know, as objectionable as that is in and of itself. But I think we're supposed to understand that she's uh, undergoing a personal change or journey in the course of the first several issues. So – you know, Danny, in her remarks, expresses hopefulness that maybe in subsequent issues she gets a little more, a little, little more development to her, and uh, she becomes a more fully rounded person, someone who might be a little bit indignant at the way she's treated in the first issue, for example. So I'd say that if any of you out there want to look past the uh, universally negative reviews this book is getting on this episode, and would like to try this at some point, uh, don't just buy the wait. Wait for the trade. Uh, which knowing image, it'll probably be affordably priced. It'll probably collect the first six or so issues if it gets that far. Just to look at it that way, see uh, what you know where the arc of this character goes, and see if it gets any better than the mess that we got in the first issue. Because you know, I add my voices to Chris and Danny. This is not something I'm in, in any way enthusiastic about reading more of at this point, and not something I would recommend to anyone, least of all a female reader. So pants. Well, Pants, why don't you read the last solicitation? All right, yes. On to The Infinity Entity, a number one of four, uh, written by Jim Starlin with art by and a cover by Alan Davis. From the pages of the Thanos, the Infinity Relativity original graphic novel. When last we saw Adam Warlock, he was a captive of Annihilus of the Negative Zone. So where does the Infinity Entity number one find him? Hanging out with the original Avengers? Then things start getting weird. But what else would you expect from the cosmic team of Jim Starlin and Alan Davis? Guest starring the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, Danny gave us a borrow. Um, I give it a, a highly subjective buy. Okay. <laughs> I give it a buy as well. All right. Because um, you're a fan of the whole Infinity... It's what got me into comics, That's Brian. what I thought, right. So, um... <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> well, you know, I I, I mentioned that I, I first got into comics with uh, Jim Starlin's Infinity stuff from the 90s. It was actually the Infinity War, which was the uh, second of the three miniseries uh, of his 90s Infinity trilogy that, mm -hmm. uh, that I uh, jumped on with. Uh, I, I didn't read the Infinity Gauntlet, the first part, until a long time later. Uh, so it's perhaps uh, fitting that uh, we're talking about this Infinity Entity miniseries, which is in its own way a middle part or a, an interlude uh, between the second and third acts of a uh, 20-teens Infinity trilogy of graphic novels. Um, you know, it, it, it takes place between the uh, Infinity Relativity, which came out in 2015. Thank you, Chris, for providing me with my copy of that. You're welcome, and, my friend. And which I nominated as uh, Best Graphic Novel of the Year during our CGS Best of Awards. And it serves as kind of a bridge between the events of that graphic novel and the events of the forthcoming Thanos, the Infinity Finale. Um, so it's... Uh, yeah, it, 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 as I said, it, it's an interlude. It's, it's, it's something that takes place and, um, well, it, it, it sort of uh, sums up and uh, recaps where the characters were left at the end of that graphic novel for those who may not have uh, bought it and is, I guess, teasing people uh, for, uh, and serving as a lead-in to the, uh, well, the next uh, volume. So it's, it, it's, a bit, it's a betwixt and between thing. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, as, as a story... Honestly, you know, I, I went ahead and uh, um, skimmed through the second, third, and fourth issues because they came out uh, on a weekly basis. Oh, okay. Right, so all four of them are on shelves by now. Oh, all right. Um, but um, 
So I, and I know where this goes. I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone because I know I'm the only one who, who's read all of them so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it does uh, lead us – the whole thing comes into a – comes full circle. This uh, four-issue miniseries goes in a neat little loop and brings us to right back where we were at the end of the Infinity Relativity. So it's just kind of an amusing little side trip, accent on the trip. <laughs> for these four issues, and it, it's more of uh, well of, of Starlin doing what he's uh, built a reputation on doing, which is playing with Adam Warlock, sending him on voyage of uh, cosmic self discovery and contemplation. Uh, he's uh, this is not the uh, your father's Adam Warlock though. This is uh, as we learned in the Infinity Relativity. Uh, Starlin is using an alternate reality Adam Warlock. Okay. Yes, uh, the the one that uh, he was working with in the seventies, the one that Roy Thomas created and uh, and played with before that, and uh, that appeared in all those Infinity stories in the nineties. Uh, he died in the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, the Abnett and Lanning run a while ago. And uh, Starlin is respecting this, and rather than trying to bring him back from the dead and you know, go through that whole song and dance, he's just introduced <laughs> – just uh, sidestepped it by bringing in an alternate reality warlock, which also gives him the opportunity to do some other interesting things like saying that uh, the entire alternate reality of which this warlock was a denizen uh, was collapsed down into a singularity and uh, merged with his essence. So basically he, he's a walking cosmic cube, this Adam Warlock. Okay. He's, he's an omnipotent being and nobody writes uh, omnipotent beings quite like Jim Starlin does. So it's fun to see this uh, uh, semi-amnesiac Adam Warlock uh, come to grips with himself in this foreign reality, you know, i.e. the regular Marvel universe, and uh, trying to identify his place in it and what's been going on since uh, the reality he came from ceased to exist and uh, then came back into being as him. And uh, omnipotence is a handy thing to have when you're searching for answers too. So that's uh, uh, so he's able to uh, solve any problem he comes across fairly easily. Uh, nice this- pun. Nice pun saying him, by the way, Mert. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I didn't even realize I'd made that pun, <laughs> but I'll willingly take credit for it. Uh, so yeah, he, we, this uh, first issue sees Adam Warlock uh, touring this reality from the Big Bang on up through the recent present, just trying to get closer to the answers to uh, what's happened to him and uh, you know, what, what happened to him at the end of uh, the Infinity Relativity graphic novel and before that. Uh, and that's how he – he overshoot, well, he undershoots by a little bit, and so he ends up uh, at the beginnings of the Avengers. That's how we end up with him teaming up with uh, Hulk, Thor, and the uh, original armored Iron Man mm-hmm. there. Um, so there is a little bit of a action sequence there with him interacting with those characters. And um, then he uh, – when he finally gets back to the right point in time, he revisits the Guardians of the Galaxy. So there's their guest appearance. He's able to heal Gamora who was mortally wounded at the end of the Infinity Relativity. So that ties off that loose end. And the first issue ends with uh, another Starlin creation. Now, he didn't create Warlock, but he did create the Inbetweener. As uh, he appeared as part of his original 70s uh, warlock run and uh, bringing him back. <laughs> and he, he comes charging in larger than life, accusing uh, uh, Warlock as being, well, well, uh, well counterintuitive to the, the in-betweener's cosmic purchase. And he, he declares, you must be eliminated so that my being continues to have meaning. And Warlock just says, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, marvelous understatement there. Uh, so, yep, yeah, this – this, you know, I give it a highly subjective buy because I really, I, I live for this stuff. This, this is what got me into comics. This is the sort of thing that I really enjoy. Is the Starlin's uh, trippy, spaced-out cosmic philosophy, and paired with another early love of mine in comics, Alan Davis and Mark Farmer's. Oh, magnificent! Jimmy, God, yes, taking me back to Excalibur, which was the first ongoing series I ever collected. 
I, I love the nail. JLA, the nail. Oh, oh yeah. that would be man. right in your wheelhouse. Oh, oh. Bringing that art style to the DCU. That, that, that was a, a very fun miniseries. So both of them were. Yes. And here, well, it, it's still it's, – it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It just seems – it's a little heavier than the, uh, the Davis and Farmer artwork I, I've seen in the past. It's recognizably theirs, but it's not quite as, I don't know, light and lively as, as some of their work. I don't know. Maybe a, a Farmer was just uh, tossing a little extra ink because, you know, to bring across the cosmic gravitas of what's going on here. But it's, it, it doesn't look like quite the same stuff that I remember from uh, – well, from Excalibur and from well, subsequent projects that the two have worked on together, like well, Superboy's Legion, for example, or The Nail. Um, but, yeah, it's still gorgeous to look at. It's still a lot of fun, uh, for me at least, to read. Future issues, we see Warlock coming up against uh, the uh, Council of Cosmic Entities, which was another uh, mainstay of those uh, Infinity stories from the 90s. So we get people like Eternity and Infinity and The Stranger and just Marvel cosmic beings who come together to Im- implore Warlock not to... Uh, well, commit cosmic genocide, which we learn is what he inadvertently will be a party to in the near future. So there's eternity, your... eternity. eternity. <laughs> that's the that's the the day glow doctor, the uh, black light Doctor Strange image. Here. Indeed, you're referencing there. Yeah, that's of course because Chris gave me one of those for my uh, <laughs> my uh, garage uh, hermitage down in Stone Harbor, and it, it does enjoy a place of honor there, Chris. Which is fast approaching, my friend. No, that's true. Very soon, I'll be back down there again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, this, so, so this is right, right in my wheelhouse. This is, uh, this is what I love most about comics. But I, at the same time, I acknowledge this kind of comic storytelling is not for everybody. And there are going to be some people who are going to be just uh, – their, their minds will be tied in a spiral or they'll just be kind of uh, bored and underwhelmed. Uh, so if I were being more objective, if I were not who I am, I would probably have given this <laughs> – you know, trying a possibility. to be like Warlock and step outside of the self for a moment. I, I probably would have given this more like a borrow, but uh, because I am the Murd. It, 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 yes, <laughs> yes, you are the Murd. It, it becomes a buy. All right. <laughs> uh, Pants, I'm going I'm to read a bit of Danielle's uh, commentary on this. Oh, certainly. Because okay. I think it's very interesting. So she gave it a borrow. I'm going to admit I did not read the whole series, but what I read, I would give it a borrow. I read the first two issues and started reading the third, but it was at that point the series lost me. This is a series I would never have picked up and read because I don't particularly enjoy cosmic stories. And then parenthetically she says, but weirdly loves Silver Surfer, I think because of the human companion Doctor Who aspect. That being said, I was shocked that I enjoyed the first issue. Not knowing anything that was going on before the series happened, I found myself being able to enjoy the ride that Adam was on. I felt that it actually worked really well for someone who was a new reader, but I'm not sure if that would have been tedious for someone who was familiar with Marvel Cosmic at the moment. Issue 2 was okay, and by issue 3, I was lost. That's where I tapped out. But I stopped reading for personal interest, not because I felt the story was badly written. And it reached this point where it was not my cup of tea. Once you bring in all those groovy celestial characters, my interest wanes. <laughs> groovy celestial characters. Nice turn of phrase there, Danny. I have to compliment uh, Danielle on her magnificent writing, by the way. Well done. Mm-hmm. Um, Murda, I'm, I'm, I'm more on, in your wheelhouse here in that I love Marvel Cosmic. I'm not. I'm not as passionate or as well versed as you are. I mean, I have a good general knowledge of it, um, but I, I dig all the far out, you know, entities, celestial entities, cosmic entities, uh, the clear impact of hallucinogens and so forth and so on. Uh, but first of all, anything Alan Davis and Mark Farmer work on, I'm automatically going to give a shot. And so that, that just from a visual standpoint, this was a sumptuous feast. I, I really enjoy this book visually. Uh, just when you get to the page where 
he's experiencing uh you know the big bang uh it's it's just it's pure starlin i mean it's just i, I was the minute i saw that i was like up oh, i'm in can't wait to read the rest of them uh i always find the adam warlock character fast and like you said Merle, i think it's 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 really clever that he sidestepped the death of the 616 warlock and brought in this alternative universe warlock which i thought was very clever and i just really enjoyed him moving through the the early stages of the marvel silver age essentially and meeting i mean this is you know this is before avengers 2 cuz the hulk is part of the team hmm. um so that that was very, that was just fun to see uh that that this early incarnation of of you know earth's mightiest heroes and of course how adam warlock can pick up uh, molnir and you know toss it around like as a toy and he throws it to the hulk and of course the Hulk can't lift it, and it brings it drives him right onto his back. Uh, the page, the half splash page of Hank becoming Giant Man, I thought was magnificent artwork. Um, almost had a Neil Adams feel to it. I thought it was beautiful. Oh, I, I'm and, seeing and, it right and, now. I, I concur with and, your assessment, sir. And then the thank you, thank you, Pants. And then the following splash page is magnificent. Just great, wonderful uh, Silver Age feel to oh, it. Oh man, that's good looking uh, stuff. Yeah, it's this this vision. This is a magnificent book. Um, and again, like like Murd said, he picks right up from the last uh, uh, Infinity OGN that Star- – because Starlin's pr- producing a whole series of these. The last one is coming out, as Murd mentioned, on uh, the not-too-distant future. I forgot which month, to be honest, but soon. And uh, you know, this, is, this is all Starlin's wheelhouse. You know, Guardians of the Galaxies here. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting into uh, you know the cosmic significance of you know Warlock's presence in this in in our our, our sort of our version of the Marvel universe that we're familiar with. Uh, and when I got to the last page and saw the in-betweener, you know, materializing out of sort of this cosmic tableau behind him, <laughs> oh, yes. uh, I was like, oh, you know, it's I, I, I eat this stuff up. I mean, it, it's Starlin, it's cosmic. I, I think Marvel's cosmic world is just one of the most compelling and interesting facets of the Marvel universe because there's just so much you can do with it, so much that is yet, I'm sure, to be explored. And I, I haven't read the rest of them yet, but they're on my nightstand. But just seeing, you know, Thanos standing on a pile of, I guess, various iterations of warlock corpses. Uh, I'm very much in, uh, certainly for the rest of this. And then moving on, of course, to the, the final OGN and, and, the, and this saga that Strong has, has been crafting. I should warn uh, you, Chris, that uh, cover image of Thanos standing on the pile of dead warlocks is a little misleading. That's fine. Yep, that scene doesn't actually occur in the second issue. That's, that's, no, that's really? Fine. It's sad, but true. <laughs> cover, co- t- uh, house ad and cover misdirection is not exactly new in uh, the comic book medium. But, um, Shattered uh, my but naivete. To e- but to echo my to echo Merge sentiments, my, my, I, I, from, a, from a, like a retailing standpoint, is also a subjective buy because – and I think Danielle, in fact, was very fair in her critique uh, yeah, because she clearly understood – you know the quality of the story and and the master of the creators involved. But again, if you're not versed in Marvel Cosmic or if it's not a, an area of the Marvel Universe you're familiar with, this probably will lose you at some point, or, or maybe not be as compelling. Uh, but again, if you're well versed in Marvel history in general and especially in Marvel Cosmic, you definitely should read this. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and from that perspective, uh, very much a buy. Excellent. Um, so I think we have some time to go over some other book we've read recently. Sure. If you don't mind, I'm going to hit on a couple. Um, I recently read the new Black Widow number one. 
Uh, from Mark Wade, Chris Samney, uh, the team behind uh, the Daredevil, which I loved. Uh-huh. Uh, and I believe, I'm not sure if you mentioned on the air or not, but Shane mentioned to me that he'd read the first issue and it was a quick read because there wasn't a lot of words in right. it. Right, just action, action, action. And he is correct. And yes, there is action, action, action. And I dug this story. I would have to give it a, a buy. There's just a, a scene, one of these pages where there's like about like 15 to 16 paddles of just action on it, just oh, yeah, fight awesome. on it. And, oh, man, I just I just really dug mm-hmm. this issue. And I kind of thought I knew it would because I'm familiar with the character. I enjoyed her last series, even with, um, you know, a different team on it. Um, but with, with the team behind Daredevil, Mark Wade, Chris Samney, oh, good, good stuff. I'm looking forward to this being a long-running series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that first issue gets, uh, well, well, the esteemed and deeply knowledgeable Eric Nolan Wethington, Oracle of the Forums, has declared that that issue contains what may be the best chase scene in all of comics. It, it is a hell of a chase scene. I, I'll is, give him that. Oh, nice. my God. He's absolutely right. That is just uh, stunning. Stunning. So that's that. Now, the next thing I want to go to, yes, does have some spoilers on it. Um, when we did our top five partnerships... Uh, my number five, I think also Shane's number five, was the team of Ralph Dibney and Sue Dibney from Long Ago, Elongated Man and His Wife. And I lamented that their story at the end of 52, where they were the ghost detectives, I wanted to see more of that. And I didn't know they appeared in the new, in the new 52 post-Flashpoint. And Murd said, you should try Secret Six. And then he emailed me, oh, number 12. So I was like, oh, okay. So I, I already had issues one to four. I had read issue number one, got the others in dollar bids, and didn't really follow up on yeah, it. Yeah, the first issue wasn't all that great. Really. Right, because you did that as an off-the-rack about did, a year ago. Mm-hmm, and we didn't think it was a very well-executed first issue, but okay. the, the series did improve as it went on. Yeah, nor did I. It was uh, Gail Simone, and the first issue was uh, drawn by Ken Lashley. Uh, and yeah, I, I must admit, I was a little bit lost in the first issue trying to follow who the characters were in the first issue. Yes, and I know it's a new 52. They're not the whole same team as before. But I really dug the Secret Six from before with Gail Simone mm-hmm. and, and, and Cliff, 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 Cliff Chang, I believe, was an uh, artist on that series. So after Merge recommendation of finding issue 12 where he said you'll really enjoy it, I hunted down the other, 12, the other eight issues at the area comic shops. Read them. And, yes, it's not the, you know, pre-Flashpoint Secret Six. There are some same characters. You do see Catman is in it. You do see – well, I, I guess Black Alice wasn't really one of the original team, but she was around. Yeah. Well, I, I think Simone intro- – no, I'm not even sure that she introduced her, but she was a part of the Birds of Birds Prey. Birds of Prey, yes, which where I remembered her. I really really enjoyed her character in there. Um, we see a, a new one of the Talon – I'm sorry, one of the um, Owls, Court of Owls, Strix, mm-hmm. a new character, Porcelain. And this other character, which I guess he's his called uh, Big, Big Shot. Shot. And I'm reading along. It's like, okay. But, but as I'm reading along, I see Big Shot's draw when it, the book shifts over to uh, Tom Derenick and Dill Eaglesham artwork. Some of his drawings of, of Big Shot is just beautiful, how his face is contorted and everything. And it didn't hit me until knowing what I know of the character before Flashpoint. I'm reading at the end of issue three. Again, like I mentioned, spoilers. And we see the Mockingbird says to this character, Why, hello, Mr. Dibney. And I was like, holy crap, that's a long game. That's Ralph Dibney. And, of course, we learned later he's not 
what he looked like pre-Flashpoint. Oh, yeah, he's, he's incognito. Incognito. He's oh, but through the series, we see Sandal scav... Oh, my God, what did I say? <laughs> Were you trying to say Scandal Savage? I was trying to say Scandal Savage mm-hmm. show up, and, and Ragdoll show up, Batgirl shows up, and, yeah, it, it's just sort of goes along. I'm like, oh, okay, that's okay. But when we get to what Murder alluded to in issue 12, and I sort of had an idea was coming. I actually got a little teary up when I got towards the end, and we see a reunion of, because in this continuity, Sue had lost her memory after an explosion, and didn't know who Ralph was, and they found each other again. She got her memory back, and that there's yeah. a touching scene. And didn't Mockingbird uh, get his hands on her and make yes. her his uh, bride-to-be? Yes. Oh, yes. And just this this scene where, you know, there's tears in his eyes when he stole this, you know, the big shot, and he reunites with Sue, and she brings him a, uh, a costume, a change of clothes, she says, and then the last page, you see him. Now, again, the coloring isn't what I would like it to be, but you see... The elongated man stretching throughout this house. I was like, oh, this is now. I don't, I don't know if this is going to go on much past issue. I think 14, I think, has been solicited because I don't know if this is part of the rebirth. I don't, it wasn't in the last solicits. So I think I'm going to see it through to the end because I did enjoy the concept and I've, I've come this far. And God, I just, I just, great to see Ralph and Sue. So thank you, Murd. For tipping me off to, to pick this up because I actually went out and paid, you know, cover price for those other eight books. Uh, and I don't normally do that, but I, I wanted to catch up and, and oh, read this. And I'm glad to learn that it was worth it. <sighs> really enjoyed that because it was great to see Ralph and Sue again. E- e- even though they're not the Ralph and Sue that I know, it's 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 still great to, to see them again. So I I sort of have to give it a, a sort of a biaro if I had to give it an overall rating because some issues were, were 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 better than others. But I I'm really digging the the, the art team with Eaglesham and Tom Dernick. They're just I really love that so much. So. That's uh, somewhat of what I've, and I, I, I'm like really into binge watching TV. This is my binge reading because I was grabbing, grabbing, read them all like one sitting basically. And... <laughs> so Gilmore Girls on the one hand and Secret Six on the other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, what else am I going to do? What, I got nothing else going on. Just binge, binge. That's all about me. Anyway, uh, have anybody, anybody read anything else recently want to speak on? Uh, I've, I'm not reading anything new I could speak on. I, I mean – Again, a lot of the titles that I've been praising, uh, you know, ad infinitum, uh, but not, nothing, nothing really new at, at this moment in time. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. We're, this is going to be our next OTR, but I just read the first issue of the new Black Panther by Ta-Nehisi Coates and uh, Ryan Stelfries. And all I'll say is I'm looking forward to discussing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, we'll how about you, Murd? Hearing a lot about T'Challa in the uh, yes, coming so, weeks. Well, they, Back to the spotlight. We're recording that at the end of the month. It's in, in the works. Uh, the one thing I brought along to uh, spotlight here is uh, the first issue of the new Adventures of Archer and Armstrong book from Valiant. Oh, this is the one written by Rafer Roberts, correct? It, that's exactly. It's, oh, excellent. Yep, it's uh, written by Rafer, uh, you know, Plastic Farm. And, yes. Uh, uh, Archer, Andy with Thanos' dark side. Oh, yes, uh, Carpool Buddies Carpool. of Doom. <laughs> funniest uh, Ashcan comic I've ever read. I, yes. I, I take it out and reread it periodically. I, I keep it on my sofa just so I can get to it. Nice. I'm in need of a pick-me-up from time to time. Uh, and uh, he's, he's not doing the artwork, though. I was a little surprised at that. But, uh, yeah, David Lafuente is uh, the artist. 
Okay, he, pencil, sounds, anyway. he sounds familiar. I'm going to have to look him up, unless you know what his other... I've, I don't offhand, so please to proceed. Okay. Uh, his style looks very familiar to me. It's got kind of a you know, Keith Giffen-esque uh, boxy squareness to it. Um, and the inks are by uh, Ryan Wynn. But it's uh, the, these uh, classic characters. Uh, Armstrong is a member of the uh, – well, he's one of the Eternal Warriors, a uh, member of a f- f- uh, f- three brothers who have lived for a very, very long time and have, who enjoy fighting and have done so throughout uh, ages of humanity. Uh, he's lived for thousands of years and nowadays he's just this big uh, bulky guy in a pork pie hat who likes drinking and fighting. And uh, his partner Archer is Obadiah Archer who uh, was uh, – he was raised uh, by uh, Christian fundamentalists in a <laughs> uh, biblical amusement park someplace. He has lived a very sheltered life, but he's, uh, he's got a Jean-Paul Valley-esque uh, system of uh, information installed in his brain. You're talking about the, the Asriel. From yes, the yes, exactly. Because yes, uh, the Order of Saint Dumas programmed him with a bunch of fighting techniques and useful knowledge. And uh, Archer's uh, family did the same thing to him. So uh, it's kind of an ongoing uh, storytelling convention here that as uh, Archer is uh, having his adventures, there are these little dictionary-style entries that appear as captions okay. in the middle of the artwork. Uh, uh, showing the definitions and descriptions of the things that Archer is doing, it's just basically showing you what is uh, being beamed across uh, Archer's synapses at uh, you know, uh, one picosecond of time okay. in the middle of his uh, adventures. Um, so in this story, uh, which is um, a little more uh, you know, lighthearted, humorous, uh, even silly than some that have been told with these characters recently um, – it uh, focuses on the magic satchel that Armstrong carries, which uh, is it's like his bag of holding. There's, there's like a whole world inside of it, and he can carry anything and everything he wants inside of it. Um, but uh, he learns that an old friend of his has died. Uh, he decides he's going to drink a toast to his old friend, but uh, he can't find the liquor he wants, so he has to dive into his satchel. Unfortunately, there are a bunch of hostile alien creatures that he's trapped in there over the years, and uh, while he's in there, they start uh, getting out. A couple other of them uh, move against him. Archer has to go inside to rescue him, and they both end up being captured by a being claiming to be Bacchus, the ancient Roman god of wine who looks like a an obese satyr. Um... And so it, it's uh, this being Rafer. It's uh, he's his. He made his name by writing a story about a comic about uh, uh, demented talking pl- toy animals. <laughs> uh, so the, you have to explain. There's going to be kind of an uh, offbeat sense of humor to this book, and uh, Rafer certainly doesn't disappoint there. Um, what have you been able to find out about uh, David Lafuente? Oh, let's see. He did some work on uh, A Plus X, uh, all new X Men. Uh, uh, Batgirl, uh, Batman Eternal, um, this looks like Spider-Man Family, Turf, X-Men. So, yeah, the name did just sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, Turf. It was uh, about a vampire turf war, I think. I'm not sure. I think that's what that was anyway. Well, uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of a wonky-looking art style, but it's uh, it, 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 between uh, him and Rafer, it, it, this is definitely a, a humorous small press feel. Okay. Uh, that we're getting from this for this story arc, and then there's nothing wrong with that at all. So, yep, yeah, it's a it's a fun read. It's a little bit of a departure from the like the Jeff Parker uh, relaunch of a couple of years ago, but still very enjoyable. So, I would uh, recommend it. Very good. Well, that was a lot of fun. I, I I could just sit here and listen to you talk about comics endlessly, Murray. Just your analysis, just um. Thank you, Brian. I'm in here, awe. Here, here, I'm, here. I'm in awe. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you know what the next round of Off the Racks are, Mr. Murdo? 
Oh. <laughs> I knew. I'm sorry. I put you on the spot. Uh, well, we know that it's uh, the, the new Black Panther okay. series by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh, gosh. What was – another one just came out. Oh, yes. Bloodlines number one. That's oh, right. really? Uh, J.T. Kroll and V. Ken Marion. Oh, my – that's the DC one, right? Right, right. It's, uh, they're, yep. they're bringing back all those uh, – Yeah, the, uh, From the Bloodlines crossover. Where they made Hitman and other characters. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the first issue of that. And the third thing I, I'm afraid I cannot oh, think okay. of. Well, check your local listing for uh, – for your, yeah, Murda, I, I, I <laughs> times and stations. Here as well. I, don't remember, I don't remember what our indie pick was for uh, April. Damn it, I can't. I can't remember. It'll come to us in time. Yeah. All right. Even if so. we have to go back and listen to that month's previews episode, we'll we'll remember. <laughs> Give us a month, we'll have it. All right. Well, I think we have a little bit of time left in the episode. Oh. <laughs> here comes the air harp. Once again, it's time for for Muddle the Murder, our trivia segment. Now, this comes to us from Chris Beckett. Oh, yes, who's tried several times. He says, Geeks, I am resending this as I do not know, believe these questions have been asked yet. He sent them in December of 2014. They may be lost in the queue. I don't know. So I'm going to go through them. Hopefully they haven't been already asked. You will know. Here we go. Question one. Independent post-2000. In the Picture Box series, Cold Heat, from Ben Jones and Frank Santoro, the main character is a huge fan of a pop band whose lead singer becomes a notable character in the series as well. Name the band. And note, this is not a real band, as far as I know, but one conceived for the series. Okay. And, of course, he was playing for... Craig Rousseau sketches of Superman and Batman. Mm. Well, Chris, may I say you're off to a fantastic start. <laughs> you may already be a third of the way to those uh, Rousseau sketches. Um, I'm pretty sure that I have not heard this question, so this is okay. probably a unique packet. Um, Sorry for the oversight, Mr. Beckett. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I, I have no idea. I've, I've never heard of this series, uh, so okay. I'm sure I've never read it. So I'll, The Amazing Joy Buzzards. <laughs> no. <laughs> The answer is Chocolate Gun. All right. Question. We're taking a thousand monkeys working on a thousand typewriters <laughs> to come up with that answer. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> you stupid monkey. All right. Marvel. Love the Simpsons. 1970 to 2000. In the mid-80s series, Strike Force... Morituri. Morituri. Yes. Thank you. Yes, from the Latin. We, we you know, Nos morituri se salut... Uh, Nos morituri te salutamus means we who are about to die salute you. It was the gladiatorial salute to the emperor of Rome. So strike force moratori means strike force we who are about to die. I know you don't mean it, and I know I'm tired of saying it, but you make me feel so stupid sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's my fault. A f- okay, anyway, in, in that series, a futuristic science fiction series from Peter B. Gillis and Brett Anderson, the Earth government must recruit young men and women for their moratori process. A scientific process that imbues each volunteer with superpowers, but will result in their death within a year in order to fight against the alien invaders, the Horde. From issue one, what is the primary propaganda tool we see used to recruit our first point of view character in the series, Harold C. Everson? Hmm. A primary propaganda tool. Oh, brother. <sighs> yep. Uh, yeah, this is New Universe, I think, and uh, it's... Am I right about that, Chris? Is it a New Universe series? 
Strike Force Moratory? Yeah. No, it was not a new universe series. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't believe it was part of uh, Marvel continuity either, but uh, I don't. I don't believe so. Yeah. Either way, this is. Yeah, I, I've certainly not read any issues of it, so I don't think there's any way that such a pedestrian answer can be correct. But I'm going to say it anyway: a, a television commercial. No, a comic book. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Perfect irony. Perfect. All right, we're getting close. Question three: DC pre 1970. Okay. Issue 66 of Flash Comics from the 40s included a 12-page story titled The Flash and the Black Widow. Hmm. According to the credits, as it was reprinted in The Greatest Flash Stories Ever Told, this story was written by an author who would go on to become a well-known crime and horror fiction writer as well as a prolific screenwriter for Hollywood. (laughs) Can you name him? I love how he says he'd like to hold Richie Ashburn. <laughs> no, I cannot, Harry. I name him Sparky. No. Can you name him? <laughs> uh, he should say, what is his name? Right. Because otherwise I could just say no. and <laughs> You're up in muddle. Yeah, brother. Okay. I'm, I'm probably going to kick myself when I hear the correct answer. But uh, again, this is uh, another shot in the dark. Maybe I can Abraham Lincoln this. <laughs> <laughs> huh! But if not, it's a hard-fought battle and uh, there's – I can scarce think of a more worthy recipient than Chris, who, as I've said, has been a he's been a loyal listener for years, and he's never succeeded yes, yes. In, in muddling me thus far. Um, I'm going to say Ellery Queen. Robert – oh, go ahead. Uh, never mind. Ro- I was wrong too. Robert Block. Okay. Uh, I have been muddled. He is best known as the writer of Psycho, the basis uh. for the film of the same name by Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. So Chris – First of all, I'm sorry that we missed you in the, the queue there, but you have successfully muddled the merge. So I'm giving these sketches to Murd to, at his own personal cost, mm-hmm. mail to you. <laughs> I stress that. But it's all right because Chris has actually sent things to me at his own personal okay. cost. So it is with uh, total alacrity and even happiness that I send him these things. Okay. Chris is a, is a did, great booster of the show. Did he include his address? I will forward this to you so you can... Oh, oh that, that's okay. I can just... Uh, you know, I, I do have access to the uh, CGS email. Of course account. you do. I do not look at any of the Muddle the Murd submissions. That would be cheating. <laughs> but I, I, I can access them. In situations such as this. Yes, and we have gotten a few in since our last call for mm-hmm. them. Yes, so. and thank oh, you very much. Wonderful, for, wonderful. We still have one more uh, sketch uh, to uh, give away, a head sketch of a Hulk, of the Hulk by Will Sportacio. Mm. And I'm sure we can scrine up some more prizes. Uh, Wild Pig will be happy to donate some prizes. Ah, Outstanding. Excellent. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, that I believe now. Was anything else on the agenda? Well, let me just remind folks of the rules for Muddle and Murder. Oh, sure. Go right ahead. Three questions, one Marvel, one DC, one some other publisher. Also breaks down by chronology, one uh, comics before 1970, one comics between 1970 and 2000, uh, uh, inclusive, and one uh, comics post-2000. And uh, send them along to uh, comic, uh, yes, comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. Put Muddle the Murder in the subject line, and don't forget to include the answers to your questions. Because otherwise, if you muddle me, how will we ever know? Right. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else to chat about, gentlemen, or are we ready to wrap this episode up? 
I think we've shot our bolt, Pansy. Very good. All right, Murd, we're going to remind us again once again of our sponsor. All right, our sponsor is uh, the Collection Drawer Company. Go to collectiondrawer.com to find out about their flagship product, the Drawer Box, and all of the permutations thereof and all the accessories available therefor. Um, tell them CGS sent you because it's, uh, you'll, be, you, you'll thank us later. Okay. It. it makes collecting that much easier. You're on. <laughs> Darn it. I forget. I'm, I'm Shane now. <laughs> All right. If you'd like to send us an email, you can, you can send us an email to comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. Are you ready there yet? Uh, we'll be in just a second. Contact I'll leave us voicemail. The number is 267-702-6642. Uh, you can follow us on forum. We're at comicgeekspeak. What? You can follow us on Twitter. <laughs> We're at comicgeekspeak. Uh-huh. Um, you can also go to our Facebook page, give us a like, uh, visit uh, thecomicforums.vanillaforums.com to participate in the best little comics discussion community on the interwebs, uh, where you can also leave feedback about this and many other episodes that we've done in the past. Tell us what you thought of our off-the-rack picks this month, if you've read them. Uh, we'd like to give special thanks to everyone who's donated to the show in the past. We really appreciate it and could not do the show without you. Free Comic Book Day coming up May 7th. Well, big comics. Be there. CGS 52 for your $5 <laughs> off overall trend. Transaction code. And we are, as always, uniting the world's mightiest heroes one listener at a time. You got it on Wednesday, and it was like the battle going to the volume up. These guys will talk about it, everything that keeps love. We'll take some laser beams, the things like the seasons, and everything. 